Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 47, The Weapons of Women Folk. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 12 of Buffy, Helpless, and series 4, episode 4 of Doctor Who, The Sontaran Stratagem. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alright, so it's Buffy first this week, and Mm -hmm. um, we just want to start with a quick production note um, to kind of take notice of the fact that uh, David Fury is back as the writer. Um, The first David Fury episode from last season was Go Fish, and that was not our favorite. That was sort of universally panned by the co-hosts of this podcast. (laughs) And interestingly enough, uh, we're going to have a little bit more to say about that again. Um, But probably like the only time, maybe one of the only like one or two times that we've like not liked an episode to that extent. Um, But I'm pleased to say that I quite enjoyed I not only enjoyed this episode more, I actually really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. So it's not even like, well, well, it's improved by his standards. Like, by any standard, I think this is yeah. a solid well, and I, and episode. And I think part so. of our expression of disappointment was that very thing, is we, we've we seen the other stuff that he had done. You know, we brought up Lost and Walkabout. We know he's and, good, And yeah. knew that, you know, he is a good writer. So it, mm-hmm. it was just sort of one of those, like, uh, and yeah. in fairness, he co-wrote that episode. <laughs> so he wrote the good bits. <laughs> so, so I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we can, but yeah, you know, we can, we can, we don't need to go back to that one because we have a very fine episode here, but yeah, no, it definitely, uh, definitely is a good one here. And so just sort of on that note, um, just kind of along the production line sort of thing. Um, there is, I did have some notes too, just about an interview that he gave where, um, interestingly enough, the episode that ended up being wasn't the one that he started out <laughs> um, wanting to do. So I guess sort of the, the original idea was to, um, you know, to still have a, have Buffy, you know, sort of be tested, but the test was going to take more of like a hallucinogenic drug induced form where she thought like her friends were vampires and stuff. And, and I guess um, in conversations with Joss, they kind of moved into this other direction where, uh, Mm. you know, it's more of a coming of age story and sort of discovering that there's this controlling, you know, patriarchy to the watcher, (laughs) um, you know, council and, and other stuff sort of going on here. So we can, we can get into all of that, but, um, yeah you know, just from a production thing. Uh, and, and one other final production note, I'm not sure how important this was, but the title was originally going to be just simply 18 for this. Mm. So, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, obviously it's her 18th birthday. I'm not sure how deep that title really goes. So I'm kind of glad they changed it (laughs) to help us. Um, especially since we get sort of that line where she talks about being helpless and, and that sort of, um, response from yeah. angel that we get to uh you know that she never will be helpless and and i like that whole sort of idea anyway so just wanted to sure. bring that up um, yeah um well i think that is a nice segue into our first discussion point because i i think joss was kind of smart 
to use the opportunity of the 18th, 18th birthday to do a coming of age story. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, 18 is sort of a significant, you know, moving out of teenagehood into the beginnings of young adulthood. Mm -hmm. She's on the brink of graduation. You know, mm -hmm. she's kind of got to start to think about all these sort of adult things. Yeah. So, and we've kind of established that her birthday episodes are always sort of significant. So it seems yeah. that <laughs> when you're doing an 18th birthday story, it should be a kind of, yeah. you know, losing your, you know, uh, naive view of the world and some sort of, you know, initiation into preparing one for adulthood. It, it does kind of, it, it does work, I think, with the journey of the character and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like where, you know, you're talking about the initiation and that's pretty much exactly what this sort of is. And, and it's yeah. interesting because we've talked a lot about the sorts of levels of knowledge and, and that kind of thing. And this is like, this is one that none of us were really aware of. We were just talking about um, before we started recording here about the fact that we're really starting to learn more about the Watcher's Council. You know, we're yeah. really starting to get this idea. So, and obviously that's something that Giles knew a little bit about too, but we mm -hmm. even get the feeling that, I mean, we've, we've talked before about how this is Giles first assignment as a watcher. Right. And so he's never been through this, um, cruciamentum or, you know, whatever they call it before. So it's, it's a learning process for him too. Like there's, there's a lot of sort of ignorance being abated <laughs> here, yeah. you know, to, to put it one way. So yeah, no, definitely, uh, a very interesting episode to kind of bring that all together. And, and I, I was laughing a minute ago cause um, I was just remembering like last week I, I was talking about how, uh, you know, how they don't really recognize in, in Buffy yet that her birthdays do seem to sort of fall apart. But then we have the explicit reference in here where Buffy says, yeah, no, my let's skip my birthday this year. Cause they tend to go bad. Yeah. Right? Didn't she say like, <laughs> like, like, things happen, people die or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well now they do know it within this context of the story. So they're, they're, yeah, they're very yeah. aware of Buffy's birthday is not always being, uh, yeah. Very good. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, I mean, and I like to, the setup of, um, to get more into kind of the idea of the patriarchy and kind of what we're going to talk about her sort of, um, disillusionment with these sorts of authority figures and everything. Yeah. Of course, you know it set they set you up for that too. With um, I like the 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 callback to what we learned that she loved skating when she was a kid. Yeah. That there was a part of her that wished she was a skater. Mm. So here we learn she still her likes to go Hamill to yeah. yeah no she still likes to go to ice shows and that this is a tradition with her dad um, and. Uh, you know, she says, you know, I, I can't be sick. I can't cancel with him. It'll break his heart. Yeah. And of course, what happens? Right. It, you know, it's the other way he around. cancels on her, yeah. you know, and she feels kind of like she predicted that he would feel. Um, mm. And so you kind of have the episode kick off with the disappointment in this father, you know, um, which is sort of setting us up for her disappointment in all of the father figures, <laughs> you know, yeah. not that the no. watchers are father figures, but Giles certainly is. 
Um, yeah, well, and, and maybe not father figures, but we do get a sense that there's sort of like an elder relationship. Yes, you know, yeah. there like it's it's not merely you know that they're a council, but it's that they're a council of elders, kind of so to speak. You know, it's a watcher. Yeah, council, and but. and should be and should and you think should be parental at least in some sense of they're watchers. It's their job to watch and protect. Mm-hmm. But here they're setting her up mm-hmm. for you know, danger. They're not watching and protecting. They're actually exposing her to, you know, some pretty dangerous stuff. So it's kind of a violation of, she doesn't, they're not father figures in any sense, in any like affectionate sense, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but they should at least be parental in the sense of guardians, you know, or at least I think that would have been what I thought and probably what Buffy thought too. You know, maybe, maybe that shows how little we know about them, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and we haven't gotten a lot. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of other, like we saw the one woman, right. Who came and, and pretended to be a watcher, but she turned out to be rogue and kicked out anyway. Right. We we learned out that she's not right. So, um, yeah, like this is our first real view, I guess, of other, watchers um besides giles um mm-hmm. yeah and it's not a real it's not a real good one is it no <laughs> like no. like you have to sort of wonder what what's going on here um yeah yeah and i don't know so anyway um so yeah, but I think that's a nice way of kind of paralleling Buffy's disappointment with her dad, with Buffy's disappointment with um, with Giles, and by extension with the whole sort of Watcher community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very, I thought that was really sweet, that scene where she tries to convince Giles to go with her. The way she kind of, you know, in one, in in her disappointment, you know, trying to sort of be stoic turns down her mom's offer to go to the you know ice rink but then the next morning she's sort of not very subtly trying to coerce giles like oh it's for sophisticated people and oh it's not just for families people take their daughters and their slayers and right right (laughs) like so um which you know giles is pretty um seems to be sort of coldly unaware of it Later, you kind of have to think, well, he's sort of hoping that if he keeps silent long enough, she'll stop asking because he knows what's going on, really. Mm. But in any case, he's sort of, you know, for whatever his motivations, he's trying to resist this urge to just be a parent, you know, be a full on, you know, embrace that sort of fatherly role. Yeah. Um. And just keep her focused on the work and on the slaying and the training and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and I think, well, and of course, I mean, part of the betrayal, right, isn't just to Buffy, but it's to us, right, as well. Yes. Because, like, yeah. we've we've been talking about how good of a guy Giles is and always. Yeah, especially this season. Supporting yeah. Buffy yeah. and always, like, even in those times. Well, yeah, this season, but also last season, like, you know, when um you know with with surprise and innocence you know how yeah how 
he just he's right there for her being the father who's not there um, in those moments when she really does need that more than she needs a watcher and in, in any sort mm-hmm. of sense of the word. And, and I, you know, you just, you're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> when you, when you see him pull out that box and the needle and stick it in her arm and you're like, and yeah. I mean, obviously, and, and at that point, even before we get the explanation of, what it is, you know, you know that it's it's part of what's going on and that he knows why. And and even the I remember there being sort of a creeping sense when I first watched this of like when he you know, he just sort of dismisses her concerns. Yeah. Which we don't see usually yeah. with him. So Yeah, no, he does he kind of just says, Well, you have a cold. He tells her even though she just explained how she almost got killed by a vampire, yeah. he recommends that she go on a patrol. And it's like, what? That makes no sense. And the one that really stuck out to me was when she says, I throw knives like a, and he goes, like a girl. And like that kind of, ooh, you did not just go there. Right. Like, because you know what she means. Right. And clearly Buffy doesn't throw like a girl in the sense of, you know, well, you, of course you're a bad thrower. Mm-hmm. You're a girl. Mm-hmm. All girls are bad at throwing. Right. Like, Giles knows better than that. Yeah. So that is kind of the clue to, like, that kind of derogatory dismissal isn't really like him. Yeah. You know, I was still, at that point, I think, holding out hope that it wasn't Giles, like, kind of like with Willow last time. There's that sense of, okay, is he possessed by something? Is this really Giles? Mm. Is this going to turn out to be something else going on? And then, to me, the real clincher was when it's revealed that he's in the house with the Watchers having the conversation. And that's when you go, okay, I have to start looking for the loophole. This actually is Giles, Mm. and he's, you know, actually taking part in whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's actively helping to have Buffy's power removed like that. Like that's sort of the weird thing is you're like, what is going on here? And, um, and of course then when Buffy finds out what's happening, like you can totally understand how betrayed she feels. And, and I just like, I couldn't, I don't know that, that, that's sort of the, where does she say, um, uh, I thought I wrote down here, like what she's saying, where, where she's talking about, you know, I, I don't know you, <laughs> like, who are you? Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah. Like what is going on? Um, and, and sort of Giles's weak responses to that because, yeah, you know, what, what is, you know, his explanation is, you know, I can't, I can't go against the council, <laughs> you know, or, um, well, it's, you know, just a temporary effect. You'll be yourself again in a few days. And it's like, well, what right did you have to make her not herself for those few days to begin with? Like, yeah. you know, where where did that come from? No, but you also, jumping ahead a little bit, while I'm like 90% on Buffy's side, and then there's the teeny little bit of me that goes, well... 
like you kind of said before we started recording, look at the consequence if he doesn't do this. He gets removed as her watcher. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a sense in which, painful as this is, it's for the greater good in a way, you know? But then, you know, you go right back to his argument, like, because that's kind of the watcher's argument, is this will only make her stronger, you know, it, right, it'll right. suck, but it's over soon and she'll be the better for it. And Giles is like, yeah, except if she dies. Mm. And then it turned out to be for nothing, right, you know? Right. When you have a perfectly strong, healthy slayer, you know, and yeah. you're basically going to contrive to have her almost certainly get killed, like for no good reason. Right. You know, and then you'll be right back where you started with a brand new Slayer. Like, you know, you can kind of pretend that this is for the greater good, but does it actually help anybody in the long run? And you get the sense that Buffy is one of the few to make it, not only to make it to her six, to her 18th birthday, but then if she makes it there to make it through this test. Right. You know, right. It's almost like you're guaranteeing that no Slayer is ever going to be older than 16 or 18. Um, Seriously. Yeah. Like if they're not killed by the time they're 18, you're pretty much going to make sure of it here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all their kind of for the greater good arguments go sort of out the window. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and it goes out the window also because like, she's been doing fine up until now. So what, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like she became the Slayer yesterday. She's been the Slayer for a few years now. Right. Uh, And what does it really teach you? Because she's doing fine as the Slayer. Why do you need to know how she acts without her powers? That scenario only exists because you created it. Right. It only exists. That's not a scenario, which is, yeah. yeah, that's not like this is something. It's not like this is helping her to prepare for something, which is, inevitable or you're even likely it's just you know this is a contrived sort of scenario mm-hmm. you know that they're working yeah, with yeah so. a very contrived one and and so again just going you know picking up the the theme of that there is this patriarchy that there is a structure here that we're not privy to that clearly buffy wasn't privy to um giles yeah. was to some degree, but yeah. But he like, seems sort of to Giles seems to accept the futility of his own fighting against it. Yeah. You know? I and going, then when he does in the end, he does get fired. Right. Well, that's exactly the thing. It's like, it's his, his hesitance to go against it turns out to be well justified because right. as soon as you, you know, try to resist them, you know, they're, yeah, they fired him. And I keep going back. Um, actually, the same scene where you were talking about um, where he, you know, she's like, I throw like, I throw like, and he says, a girl. Um, yeah. That whole scene, he can't look her in the eyes. Like, I, like if you just watch, like, he's looking everywhere but at her. Like, he might glance, like, at her face, yeah. like, once, you know, that entire yeah. scene. And yeah. you just get this weird, like, you know that even he's finding you know, the things that he's saying sort mm-hmm. of ridiculous. So, you know, yeah, you kind of wish that. Yeah, he no, would've... there's a, even in his dismissal, there's that kind of evasiveness mm-hmm. of like, he doesn't really mean it. These are just convenient excuses or, 
ways to sort of rebuff whatever her questions are, you right. know, like that he's giving dodgy answers. Um, yeah, yeah. No, and in retrospect, on the second viewing, you do kind of see that all of this is not just, you know, callousness or being uninterested. It's him kind of mm -hmm. avoiding confronting her. Right. Um, and you said, you know, the, the line that jumped out to you was the, um, who are you? The one that really jumped out to me was her saying, touch me and I'll kill you. And that's well, yeah, with yeah. no powers. She just mean, you know, that kind of right. the the visceralness of her, you know, uh, you know, distrust of him. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, like, you know, as far as like the losing the power and all of that, I mean, we get all of these moments that we're not used to seeing <laughs> with Buffy, yeah. right? We get the, yeah. um, especially when Zachary Kralik gets, uh, you know, leaves the house mm -hmm. and he confronts her on the street. On the street, um, yeah. With the, now I don't, I don't think the two other guys who were with Quentin um, were watchers themselves. I think they were like, you know, lackeys or something. Um, okay. I'm not a hundred percent positive of that. I could be wrong, but like, that's sort of the impression I get. Um, mm -hmm. So like, you know, but obviously he turns one into a vampire and then they kill the other one. Um, yeah. You know, so the, you know, the two of them are out there and you get, you get Buffy running, you know, through the streets. And just before that, you know, you get the crass comment that normally she would just turn around and punch a guy in the face, you know, for saying, sure. the, yeah. you know, uh, what and it and I don't know about you, but like to this point in the show, you know, you, you know, he's talking about her doing a lap dance and stuff. Or like we don't, we haven't heard anything quite that crass in this. Show. Like I'm trying to think, like if if we've ever yeah. even heard, like this is like adult stuff, right? This isn't like right. you know right. high school kids talking, which you know I'm sure is bad enough. But but like you know we're out of school. This is the real world. This is yeah. you know men hassling her yeah the, the only other the thing night. the only other thing i can i don't remember what the lines like the dialogue was but it it kind of brought me back to um and the season premiere when those guys in the diner are i don't remember what they said but they're kind of grabbing at her yeah in a suggestive you know like mm -hmm. and that it reminded me and that was kind of a similar thing she didn't lose her powers there but she was resisting using them and had to just sort of take that kind of lewd comment when she would normally yeah. stand up to it. Yeah. So I, it had that kind of, it reminded me of that. And I think those are the only times we have really seen that. And they're both in these contexts of like the wider ad adult world, you know, outside of Sunnydale High, outside of the normal sphere of her experience, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's definitely more grown up and more threatening than what she's used to. Right. Um, right. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. And so we see, you know, the result of that and her inability to fight. Uh, and, and well, when we wanted to definitely refer to the red hoodie coat that she's yes. wearing and the sort of yeah. little red riding metaphor um, yeah. that she yeah. has there which gets, you know, pulled off her and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, like, you know, again, we see her running, she's running through the streets in the dark of the night, yelling for help. 
unable to climb yeah. the fence, you know, almost gets yeah. caught by the vampire as she's climbing, you know, underneath uh, the fence there and stuff. So mm-hmm. just it's a it's a bizarre sort of thing, because, again, we just haven't seen that with her. No, like, no, it's kind of jarring to suddenly see her in that context. Yeah. You know, you kind of realize how that's not her at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, and it's funny. It was interesting to me how kind of quickly she sort of embraced that role. <laughs> like how yeah. how far she threw herself into it. But I think it's a good thing because I think the the Slayer powers are part of it. Like she knows she's physically not capable of taking these guys on. So there's a smartness to it. You know, she's not pretending she can fight when she really sure, can't. Sure. But also you get a sense that some of what she is or a good chunk of it is her own self image and self perception. But she, because she knows that she doesn't, that she's weaker, that she doesn't have her powers. She totally goes for this sort of stereotypical, you know, screaming damsel in distress that there's mm-hmm. like, there's some, like there's a psychological element to it. I think, you know, that she's almost weaker going knowing that she's lost her power than she would have been before she lost her power in a way you know that right like before she ever gained the loss it, mean, of that yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 like the loss of that makes it even harder and she kind of alludes to that like can she go back to being just a person you know yeah. it, it's almost work to go, worse to go back to being just an ordinary person than it would have been to just be an ordinary person in the first place right Right. Um, the loss of that makes it even more difficult. Yeah. And of course we get Angel saying, oh, you you could never be helpless or boring or whatever, even if you tried. But mm. there's that there's that wonder. I mean, she she can't. Yeah. Like you said, she can't. She knows she can't take on a vampire, let alone two of them at a time in the way that she yeah. is here. The 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 one that she kills um, sort of at the beginning there is kind of lucky he falls on her stake right like she -hmm. doesn't really kill it it kind of killed itself (laughs) yeah yeah. um and and yeah i don't know it is it is a really jarring sort of thing and so you and you talked about um sort of like the the screaming you know damsel in distress and and there's definitely uh this is sort of a horror movie scenario that we get here right so Um, I wanted to bring up there's a, there's actually a article in Slayage Journal, which we've referred to before, um, titled Buffy in the Terrible House. And it's all about this episode um, and and that idea of the terrible house, which comes from uh, Carol Clover, who is a, a film theorist and, and is somewhat famous for coming up with sort of the elements of of a slasher film and um not that like she she clover talks about you know not that any of these elements were unique to slasher films per se but that sort of the formulation of them together so you have Mm -hmm. this idea of a terrible house a place where you know there's sort of a murderous family and and a murder murderous lineage um and and you have um, you know, these young victims who, mm-hmm. you know, which in this case is pretty much all the slayers of the past, right? You know, you have mm-hmm. all these, you know, ones who 
at least some of them have probably died. Probably many of them have died. Um, and then you have, um, you know, the final girl, which is sort of epitomized here uh, by Buffy, but in sort of an interesting twist, because typically the final girl is just like one of the group of young people who's being terrorized, but she sort of is able to come to uh, a conclusion or come to grips with sort of the scenario before anyone else can and, and realize what's going on and is able to fight back against the monsters. But in this case, you know, you have to start by taking away that power that Buffy has to sort of yeah. make her into that regular girl. And, and that's kind of what they do, you know, where by the end of the uh, end of the show, you know, end of the episode there, you know, she has regained her ability to sort of face the monster as just a normal final girl, you know, and sort of taking right. on that role. Right. And it actually does. And I'm not suggesting that what, you know, that this test is in any way a good thing, but Buffy does pass it according to the criteria that they set, that they want, what they want is for her to survive mm -hmm. based on her cunning and, you know, her, resourcefulness and her wit rather than just her physical slayer powers which yeah she trains for this but also her powers are sort of magically induced it's not right. you know she she can train she can hone those skills but then there's something which are sort of given to her um mm -hmm. so it is interesting to see that once you know is she just is her power just um the, that gift which is given to her and I think we can conclude at the end no because when that's taken away she does yeah. you know go back in like she's brave she she goes back in after her mother she you know is sort of brave enough to face him even though she knows she's not strong enough and she's smart enough to outwit him you know she packs right. the right tools right and she tricks him, you know, into right. It it doesn't you know, into accidentally killing himself. It doesn't end up so, being a, a a power struggle. It ends up being yeah, an yeah. No, she absolutely wins based on as the watchers hoped she would through her, you know, through her cunning. Yeah, um, and and so based on information that of, she learns, it's not even like she knew. Yeah, no, she didn't know that going in. She was thinking on her feet mm -hmm. you know she was smart and that's something which we can assume is natural to Buffy you know that right. wasn't something you know that she didn't get extra smarts along with her extra strength necessarily that that's something which yeah. is in, about her right you know so you can kind of I think the, the the benefit for Buffy at the end is to see you know yes my super strength is important but I have something to offer even besides that, yeah. that, you know, her own bravery and quick wittedness yeah. is part of what makes her a good slayer. Yeah. Um, so, well, and that's accidentally, I think this will kind of end up benefiting her in the way that the watchers intended. Right. Um, even if their method of proving this is suspect. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's sort of the hard part about it is because I think you're right. There is, there does seem to be anyway, a sort of veracity to, you know, what they're trying to do, but the yeah. way they go about it is completely, you know, bass backwards. And so I think, yes. you know, I think the, the sort of thing that I take away from that is when she goes, 
she goes. That's the difference. It's she's deciding yeah. to, well, I mean, you know, she's going to rescue her mom. So obviously that, you know, that's a big impetus is the fact that her mother was taken, but you know, it's, it's more about her making the decision to be the one versus, you know, yeah. other people dragging her and saying, this is what you need. It's, you yeah. know, it, she's, in this case, she becomes the agent, the one who's saying, okay, I may not have the power, I may not have the ability, but I'm still going to face this monster, rather than, yeah. you know, someone crippling her and pushing her into a house where there, a monster yeah. already exists. Yeah. And and right. that's, that's I think, the the biggest difference. And I think, I think you're right. I think that even just that sort of attitude, so yes, she has the intelligence and, and the wit to sort of, you know, defeat the monsters and whatever, but like, it's also that, attitude when she decides that she can do it you know it's that sort of persistence and and the sort of confidence that she has to have in herself um and of and so of course there's some interesting stuff about mothers in this episode too <laughs> but, yeah um, yikes anyway i'll say um so uh talking going back to sort of the, the carol clover stuff too i should just mention that um, she talks about sort of the paradigm for the elements that she puts together is Psycho, uh, the mm -hmm. Alfred Hitchcock movie. So talking mm -hmm. about problems with mothers, um, th yeah. there's there, she has a lot of sort of Freudian analysis and and stuff that goes into yeah. her um, ideas on on the Final Girl and slasher film. Right, and, and I'm probably not qualified to speak on most of that, but, uh, well, of all, of all the fairy tales they could have incorporated, a lot of people have had a big Freudian field day with little red riding hood, sure. you know, that kind of fits into that, sure. you know, the, the, the threatening man in the woods when little girls and cross-dressing and all the things yeah, that yeah. are involved, no, you and know, that's... which he does, you know, he puts, he, he doesn't dress up in grandma's clothes, but he puts on her red coat yeah. and 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 scares Joyce that way, you know. So that kind of recalls the wolf in the bed in mm -hmm. grandma's clothes a little bit. Mm. And he makes a lot more. He picks up on the Riding Hood analogies and starts using that in his taunts and saying, uh, um, "Yeah, it talks about why did you come to the going woods? To, yeah, yeah, and going to grandma's house and." Um, stray from the path you'll lose your way all these things so yeah no that's yeah so it's encouraging that kind of um which how freudian you want to go with that i guess is up to you but certainly i think uh you can't help but think about gender and patriarchy i think mm -hmm. and probably sexuality too i mean i think like how where you want to draw the lines might differ but i think all of those things are sort of inherently part of that story you know so to kind of yeah. well, bring no, them I... up especially in a story which is so heavily you know influenced by the kind of slasher movies and everything um yeah yeah i think it's pretty interesting yeah exactly so and and we get all those elements so we already talked about the guys taunting we talked about the um you know, what could easily become an abusive relationship uh, between Cordy and the unnamed guy. We don't even know who he is when Buffy tries mm -hmm. to stop him and he pushes her down and pushes her away. I mean, right. we, you see that sort of thing easily escalating, you know, very quickly. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so there's those aspects. There's there's the yeah, the the sort of the higher the more like um approved, you know, sort of hierarchy of the watchers mm-hmm. council, you know, um, you know, and all those sorts of things. And then yeah, the just the fact that you have this weird psychopath who's you know just kind of out there you know he's just very out there he's just uh you know yeah well and and not only is he like i mean any sort of violent vampire would have done but clearly this guy has not only mommy issues but women issues in general like his crimes are he's another one of these ones which there's been a couple who were uh pretty evil before they became a vampire you know that you know, he was already mentally or criminally insane and a serial rapist and killer and cannibal, it sounds like. Um, so, you know, he's definitely on the even more evil spectrum because of what he was like as a human being. Mm-hmm. And his crimes are all, you know, against women for the most yeah. part. It sounds like against his mother and against... Yeah. You know, all of these female victims. Other than so. by necessity, right? Because he kills like the two watcher helpers there. Just, you know, the so the, the one could get him out. That's the only reason he turns him into a vampire, right? And so he can like yeah. unlock him. <laughs> and yeah. then he's like, okay, well, you're a vampire, so you're cool for yeah. now. But And he was kind of like, you know, uh, oh, oh, I wasn't sure if he would wake up. Like he kind of wouldn't have cared too much if he accidentally killed him anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and... But yeah, like otherwise it's, it's all about, but, but then you also, but then you learn his mother actually didn't treat him so very nicely either. So like, not that I, you know, that doesn't excuse anything, but <laughs> you know, you can't help but wonder. Well, There's well, a pretty we're right sp- back to, uh, we're right back to psycho again, aren't we? Where, there you go. You know, that's a very Mrs. Bates and Norman Bates, like who's. Who's crazier in that relationship? It's yeah. kind of hard to say, <laughs> you know. Um, and and there's mention of scissors, and you have to wonder what exactly was done with those scissors. And I think there's a pretty strong hint that we don't need to get into. Um, and and so you know, you can sort of yeah. Again, not that that necessarily means he is in right to uh, become a psychopathic killer. But still, you could sort of see how one thing might lead to another in that instance. Mm. Um, I did want to bring up too. So, all right, I've, this is, I'm not going to say this is the last time I'm going to mention the fact that I wrote this Cabin in the Woods paper, but you know. But since and, we keep having cabins in the woods, since we keep talking, well, and, and well, it's I, not exactly in the woods. And this but is, it is kind of a cabin. This is an episode that I actually consider to look at for the paper. I yeah. ultimately chose not to because, partly because, yeah, we don't know where it actually is. So yeah. it doesn't I, have the kind of uh, it, it lacks the isolation. It's isolated in that it's empty, but we're not exactly sure whether it's off it, in the middle of nowhere, unconnected from. Civilization, well, and it seems pretty you know? easy for people to get back and forth to. I mean, yeah. everyone who yeah, comes no, it and seems goes like, from it. Yeah. You, yeah. An abandoned house. Certainly. Uh, right. Uh, uh, one in the wilderness? I don't think so. Yeah. It seems, I mean, to be within like walking distance of most. Yeah, places no, this seems to me to have more in common with those kind of suburban horror movies, like, like yeah, 
Friday the 13th or like last house on the left or, or Nightmare on Elm Street. That's the one. Yeah, I was, I was going to say both like, of those are actually more not Nightmare No, I meant uh, like Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street, Street or even Halloween, like that, which is, know. I think, or Halloween. Um, like exactly, an, it's yeah. an abandoned yeah. house, but it's like yeah. a house that's for sale. It's not like, yeah, you know, out right. in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, and I think that that's right. And and. So another sort of Freudian thing and 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 Carol Clover stuff is is all about the penetration scenes and we get plenty of those with him coming through the walls and you know um breaking like through the stairway and that kind of thing. Um yeah. Very sort of Freudian analysis there. But <laughs> what I wanted to say is actually the other cuz there's actually um another sort of analysis of of horror movies um by Finn Ballard um who clearly is an Irishman uh, that I read around um, what he, he terms road horrors. And he talks about the road horror as being a very modern sort of, uh, uh, you know, form of fairy tales, uh, specifically a type of fairy tale called the Warren Marchin or, or the cautionary tale. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the two examples that he gives is of course, little red riding hood. And it's, mm -hmm. it's the idea being that these were tales, you know, these sorts of, of fairy tales were told um, for exactly the reasons we were talking about, because there are evil things in the woods and then not always the wolf that's going to eat you. It can be the predatory male very yeah. often, perhaps even worse in those days would have been the predatory male, um, you know, on, little girls, young women at, or whatever right. you want to, you know, term it. And, and, and that these sort of, um, horror movies are, are, are very, uh, very much passed down. I think we'll, we'll try to remember to link to both of those. Cause I think those are both very interesting, um, in context to Buffy in general, but I think in particular to this episode, um, both of those have some interesting ideas. Um, anyway, yeah. the, uh, so, man, we sort of went all over with that, and we're 40 minutes we in. Um, anything else sort of about Buffy and the, the situation and kind of where she comes out? I think we hit all the major themes, but I just want to make sure before we sort of move on. Um, no, I mean, no, I, let's move on. Because I think we've got a little bit more can, to say about Giles. Sorry, I was going to say, before we go to Giles, maybe can we just finish up with Zachary Kralik? Because I don't think there's a lot more to say, but just one or two yeah. other things. And then, um, so yeah. yes, he's very insane. I'm not sure where the whole, the vampire needs medicine sort of thing. But, you know, we have right. seen like Spike. Yeah, that was a little strange. I was going to say, we have seen Spike get drunk. So it's not like we've we've, you know not seen alcohol or drugs influence vampires before. So, yeah. so yeah, definitely. And it, and it sort of seemed, it was kind of weird because it sort of seemed that he had a physical pain, you know, associated with not taking the medicine, um, yes. whatever that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like a, it seems like it causes him pain yeah. when he needs to take it and he doesn't have yeah, it. Yeah. There's definitely some sort of mental and physical anguish going on, like both together. Yeah. Um, the, the, and, and then there's the whole, like, you know, him grabbing Buffy's cross and like holding it against himself, you know, right. like there was, right. there was very much, that was a very odd sort of scene. So <laughs> I, you know, I don't. Yeah. Well, I think again, it's just that this isn't someone you're going to, 
best in a fight yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. It, it forces Buffy to resort to her wit, you know. Right, right. Um, and so I think it, you know, and and even even if you try to hurt him so much that he lets you go, he kind of likes it, you know. Right. So like, this isn't someone that you can you know, forced to yeah. back off, yeah. basically. It was kind of what I got out of it. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's exactly it. And, and, um, and, you know, good for Bob. I mean, cause that's obviously his weakness. So, you know, her recognizing that and, and being yeah. able to, to sort of play on that and, and, and. Well, well, bright enough and quick enough to grab the pills to realize he needs these. So I'm just going to take them and run. And then the added trickery of, you know, lacing them with some holy water, you know, so you just <laughs> yeah. get her being very, I like her kind of, I like that she solves, I like how she wins in the end yeah. and that it yeah. is based on her, her wit and resourcefulness, you know, yeah, that's, absolutely. that was cool. Um, but the thing, I, and we kind of saw her packing her, her little bag of tricks and goodies mm-hmm. and stuff on, and so, slipping the kind of like little red riding into... hood. She's got her little, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I like that. That it was good, like they used that. Like she knew, she knows. Yeah, I'm not gonna win with a fight, but I'm still gonna pack my bag just in case. Yeah. You know? So she had things with her. That <laughs> and it was were. kind of weighing her down as she went out the door, which doesn't yeah, normally yeah. happen. No, no, yeah. Um, but the the thing I re- I wanted to sort of get to is all right. So this is like probably one of the worst vampires we've seen. I mean, okay, maybe not as bad as the master. Yeah. But like, but I'm, maybe in some ways worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe in some ways worse. So like, I, yeah, I'm hard pressed to, I mean, Spike's kind of bad, but you know, we know he's pretty selfish. He's not yeah. insane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like yeah. this, like you said, like he doesn't care. Angel. Yeah. No, I mean, it almost seems like more like Angel in the sense of the enjoyment of the suffering of other people, yeah. that kind of sadism, you know? Well, yeah. And, and, the masochism of drew yes uh yeah. you know so i you know i all of that to say is that so what is the watcher council response when they meet a vampire like this <laughs> the response is oh we need to capture this guy so that we can yeah. set him against a slayer right. and so i sort of right. wanted to point that out as yeah. we go into talking about Giles and the yeah. rest, and the Watchers a little bit more, because I think that that's an important sort of thing. It's, you know, yeah. isn't yeah. isn't the idea to like defeat the evil, to kill the evil, right? But, but now we have these Watchers who are not doing that; they're actually keeping the evil thing around in yeah. order to torture, right? And, and, and potentially be... kill, you know, the Slayers. He's he's so evil that you have to imagine that he was chosen for how over the top he was. Right. Like if they just needed a vampire, they can go out and get a vampire. But it, right. it's clearly this is like, ooh, this guy's yeah, gonna this, be the one. We gotta the save one. him for yeah, Buffy, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So like Or whoever yeah, like we don't you know say, how like, long they've been using him. He could have been using him for you know yeah, several like, generations. Yeah, who's to say this isn't slayers. the same one they use for all the different slayers or right. something and they've been keeping him for years. But no, you're right. Like, yeah, you have this guy locked up and your your response isn't to just stake him and get it over with. No, it's put him aside and, you know, use him to test the Slayer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ugh. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So on that note, 
let's talk about Giles and the Watchers because, um, I mean, so, okay, we already talked about Giles being a bad guy. Uh, not a bad guy. I get, well, no. I mean, he kind of is a bad guy. Well, I don't know. I don't know how we want to phrase that, but we already talked about that part, but he does at least come around in the end. Yeah. Um, well, and he has a, his bit in the middle, speaking of slasher movies, when he gets into the house and finds it, that people have broken out, like he goes in and invest- and I'm like doing that thing where you sit there screaming at your TV, like, why are you investigating? Yeah. Don't investigate. Yeah. You turn your butt around and get out of there. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was an effective slasher movie moment. You know, yeah. he didn't he didn't pay the price for it. Normally, no, no. Well, normally, that is a bad decision. And I was going to say, yeah, they sort of subverted that because we, at that point, we don't know yet. But it, as it turns out, the vampires are out because they're out hunting right. down Buffy. Right. So right. you know, no, but you're just bracing yourself the whole time yeah, yeah. for yeah. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. waiting for someone to jump out and and yeah. bite them or try to anyway. Um, but yeah. he does come around. He he um, ends up saving Buffy sort of in the end. Um, mm-hmm. Like, because you do sort of forget about that there's another one there somewhere that Buffy never actually killed him. And, right. and then uh, Giles is there to help her, which, um, yeah, like there's, there's, again, sort of going back to the whole final girl and, and whatever, like there's, there's definitely, uh, uh that does sometimes that is sometimes an element of it that that she gets saved but i don't know that i don't know how much to read into that like is that you know is this is this giles being you know the man and saving the little girl or is it is it you know do we do we read that more as he's come back around mm-hmm. to her side and and knows that she should never have been put into this place in the first place, you know. That's more how I read yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to read that in a, in a, you know. Kind of like when Angel saved her at the end of that episode. I don't know that every time there's a last minute rescue, we need read it as, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a necessarily sort of gendered light that way. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think... In this show, we're given plenty of opportunity for the women to do the last minute saving. You know, maybe maybe I'm wrong because this episode is so concerned with those issues. So maybe we should pay attention to who is rescuing who and in what context. But I don't know. I just kind of see it as Buffy can't literally do everything herself. And especially when she's been poisoned, you know, so that... She's weaker than normal. You can't expect her to, you know, that sometimes you just need someone else there. Yeah. Well, and we've you know? talked about that since the first episode with, um, you know, Xander being the one to help her shut the door yeah. in that, you know, basement, you know, it's or yeah. underground or wherever they were. So, like, you know, this is a slayer with family and friends, as we've yeah. talked about. Like, it's so... I think you're right. I mean, I think that's sort of how we're supposed to take it. I just want to point out that there, there could be other interpretations at least. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't see it that way. But that wouldn't. That wouldn't surprise me. I guess if people read it that way. So. Um. And then, of course, his help. Uh, interestingly, doesn't disqualify her because I guess she dispatched 
Kralik of her own accord. Right. So so On she passed. Own, yeah. Um the other vampire, you know, was ex watcher fault. <laughs> you know, that 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 I guess is perfectly fine that Giles stepped in there. Um Right. So she passes, but he does not. Right. Your affection right. for he's, your charge he's too affectionate. has rendered you incapable of clear and impartial judgment. You have a father's love for the child, and that is useless to the cause. Mm. Useless. Yeah. That's an interesting word to say. That is useless. Useless, which is ironic, considering if their cause is to have a slayer who fights evil, and he just saved her life, it's kind of strange to argue that his loyalty is useless you know like mm. literally five minutes ago he just you know made sure that slayer didn't get killed right so like yeah i mean you get the sense that the watcher's definition of things like utility and you know uh is a little skewed to say the least yeah yeah um yeah yeah so anyway the the um result is that now we He's, are going to yeah. be getting a new watcher. So did you yeah. see that coming? I did not, no. <laughs> um Buffy doesn't seem too concerned about it. She's kind of saying nothing's really gonna change. Um so I don't know if that means she still considers Giles her watcher. So as long as he's not physically leaving, as far as she's concerned, nothing is going to change. Mm. Um you know, or maybe I'm wrong. That was kind of one thought I had. Um, but at least he's refusing to uh, leave town. Right. Um, the Watchers did tell him not to contact Buffy anymore, but we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, I mean, he's so. the librarian in her school. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's I not like... I don't see that happening. So, unless they forcibly remove him, which I suppose is a possibility... Um, I don't know. We'll have to see what this new... I mean, last time we waited for a Watcher, she never came. I mean, we've been waiting for Faith's Watcher for a long time. She had a fake Watcher. Right. Um, We still don't have a real Watcher for Faith, you know? Yeah. I'll be interested to see, does Buffy's new Watcher turn up in, like, a matter of a day? You know, when Faith's been waiting for one for six months or whatever. Mm. So... Um. Yeah, no, I didn't really. I didn't see that coming. Um, so I'll be interested to see where it goes. Yeah. Well. Willow seems the most upset of anybody. Yeah, yeah, no, Willow definitely seemed upset by the fact that uh, Giles might not be around. I mean, and you're kind of not sure whether it's the con it, it whether she's afraid Giles is going to leave or if it's just the concept of being fired which is more terrifying to her or the idea that Giles could get fired you know it's kind of like if Giles can get fired anyone can get fired right but yeah 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 but good for Giles he says he's not leaving so i will believe him until that's proved otherwise i don't think he's planning to leave anytime soon right um which right. is a good thing um yeah no that is a good thing uh we shall see what happens 
I will not give any hints or clues. No. You um, <laughs> so, uh, last couple minutes here. Anything yeah. else about the other sorts of characters that we uh, encounter? Oz really likes ice, we learn. Oz likes ice, and Xander has trouble with peanut butter jars. Mm-hmm. That's mostly what we learn um, about those guys. Willow uh, has not yet figured out how to turn Amy back into a person. Yeah. No, um, and she doesn't seem too <laughs> bothered by that either. She, she seems to think that Amy likes the fact that she uh, has a new wheel and, and mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of little gadgets that yeah. she's getting her. So, yeah. <laughs> so, poor Amy. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a certain sort of... Um, genetic resemblance to her mother who's still trapped in a statue. <laughs> so That's true. I hadn't really thought about that. You're right. Um Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it, it seems to it seems to you Run know, maybe it's a good a thing. Bit. You know, maybe this happening before Amy was able to procreate isn't horrible. Yeah. We don't know. We'll see. I you know, I'm not we may hear about Amy from time to time. I'll, that's all okay. I'll say. Uh, And then Cordy. Cordy. One or two things about her I think you might have. I do. Um, So um, Cordy, again, like she's not showing any signs of wanting to come back to the group, but still I'm noticing that she's not totally reverted to season one Cordy, that she still has some of the kind of, um, you know, whatever bits of friendship you know, that she she still still seems to have some sense of loyalty to Buffy and to the group. So you get her um uh when when the guy when Buffy tries to stop the guy and that she's with and, and he pushes her away, uh you get Cordy very <laughs> upset at this and kind of pummeling him with her fists, you know, kind of a little girly version of, you know, sticking up for Buffy, you yeah. know, which is kind of cool um which and then again i I sort of equated it almost to at the end of um you know the homecoming episode when she's facing up to lyle yeah you know saying oh yeah you think she's bad i'm the queen (laughs) you know yes and yeah and that same kind of attitude a little lightened down you're right like i mean she is they're it's, definitely it's girly comedic. punches, so to speak. It's comedic, you know I mean? but it's, but it's still the spirit is the same. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's the same. It's this. She's doing the same thing. If if her physical, you know, fighting isn't quite as impressive as her just her boasting, you know, mm-hmm. but still, it's her defending Buffy, you know, which is nice to see. Yeah. Um, and um, and same thing again. You know, you get her kind of flippant jokes about. If the world's ending, I'm not going to write my Bosnia, my Bosnia paper or, you know, I'm going to need a note, you know, for not writing it or whatever. But still, when Buffy says, can I have a ride home? She says, of course. Yeah. Like, and, no, not a second thought. Right. Now There's she'll no still need. And she, no. she can totally read the the need in Buffy's voice there. Like yeah, it, like that's not a joking matter. Yeah. 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 Um, and she still has her funny little, you know, if, well... That, of course, if the world doesn't end, I'm going to need a note. But right. still, you know, yeah. her willingness to, again, she, you don't get the sense that she wants to be friends in the sense of having camaraderie. But there's still a kind of 
solidarity. allies, maybe allies rather than friends. Mm-hmm. They're on the same side and she's willing to help and, you know, happily willing to help, you know, but it doesn't extend as far as wanting to, you know, hang out with them, mm-hmm. you know, but I like that. I like that she hasn't just thrown Buffy in the evil pile, you know, that she does actually care about her enough to stick up for her and want to help her. Right. So, right. Um, and you do sort of, yeah, I, I, I use the word solidarity when you, when you said allies and I think either one's probably a good explanation yeah. for it, but, but you do sort of get that feeling of like, if you know, you're talking in the context of, you know, sort of awakening to a patriarchy kind of thing that, mm. you know, women have to stick together, you know, it's not, sure. and, and I don't mean it because so often that sort of thing comes off as like belligerent or, you know, us versus them. I don't necessarily think that that's what they're saying here either, you know, as far as like a gender war or something like that, you know, men versus women yeah. kind of thing. But I do think that there, there is definitely a truth to that. Like it's, it, yeah. you know, that there's, you know, men do have this, patriarchy and and there is Mm -hmm. this historical uh you know and not even historical you know sort of um uh, you know real existence uh out there that that you just can't seem to break through so yeah when you see another woman getting thrown down you do have to stick up for her even if you're not buffy with super slayer powers yeah, you, you know, yeah. um, so I don't know. I just the, yeah, the 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 moment in the library is what struck me that, yeah, Cordy mm-hmm. comes in and she's joking and she's kind of, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. What was me? I have this, you know, paper I have to write. And, you know, Buffy just has to suck up because, you know, they aren't friends, yeah. even though they've had their sort of moment in the cabin <laughs> and mm-hmm. and, you know, have come to a better understanding you know, Buffy still has to take that deep breath and ask, you know, for help, which is hard enough, yeah. you know, for Buffy to do to begin with. But that she has to ask Cordy for help, you know, yeah. seems like even worse. And of course, of course, yeah. you know, there's yeah. not even like you said, not even. A moment you don't even need to ask really, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, she can tell and she has that um, idea. And and that sort of echoes for me when. The, the same tone, not the same exact message, obviously, but that sort of echoes for me when Buffy um, is in the the house with uh, Kalik and and her mother, and you know uh, he just drank the holy water and just is sort of realizing what's happening, and she says, "If I was a full Slayer power, I'd be punning right now." Yeah, great line. And it is a great line, and it's is kind of. Like, cause I mean, it is kind of actually funny. It's almost kind of, you know, not a pun exactly, but it's kind of a, there's a humor to it, but it's, it's a yeah. very dark humor because yeah. she's not amused. You know, this is not really a laughing situation at all. And, yeah. and that's, that's sort of the thing. Like we, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things where you, where you kind of have to say, yeah, some serious shit just went down. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. and and yeah, you can maybe sort of chuckle a little bit now, but it's still not it's still not really it's still an uncomfortable laughter 
at that point, yeah. like if you're laughing yeah. at all. So, yeah. and, and, and I think we're meant to think that, yeah, Buffy is not finding any of this funny. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. No, the only humor there is her own awareness of her own humor under normal circumstances. But right. the point being, these aren't normal circumstances, yeah. you know? Right. And there's the, the pun anything isn't going to cut it right, right now. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, so some heavy um, stuff. Yes. You know, I have one quick thing to say about faith before we move oh, on. Um, I just want to note again, her, uh, sort of her notable absence, I guess, let's yeah. call it. Yeah, um, her explicitly called out absence. Her explicitly, and that's several times we've had. I mean, there's been times where she just wasn't around and we've noticed, but there's been several episodes where they've pointed out the fact that she's absent. Right. Um, and so absent in the sense of they don't quite know what she, where she is and what she's doing, you know, and so, uh, and and she's not interested in, training giles says so again we're still you know this is a running a running theme i think mm. and since they keep bringing it up i think we need to keep noticing it um so yeah so any hope that there was that faith would lighten buffy's load is not so much the yeah. case yeah um so yeah yeah all right anything anything else to nope. wrap up before nope. we I move think, on, I think we're good. We just we, we'll we'll find out more about Giles and this new watcher. Yeah, assuming there is one. Yes. Oh, whoops. Wait, what? No. So, Doctor <laughs> Who, the Santaran yeah. stratagem. So, um, we talked about David Fury, mm-hmm. and uh, now we should mention that <laughs> we we get another lineup. That was unexpected. A really bizarre lineup this time. Um, like this one takes the cake, I think. So Helen Rayner yeah. is is uh, the writer of this episode who who was the writer of the Doctor Who episode last time. We had a David Fury Buffy episode. Yeah, um, and we hated them both. And we disliked them both <laughs> strongly. I didn't use the word hate, did I? No. Um, okay. But... Yes, no. So and yes. and and in fairness, once again we have a much better episode yes. on this uh this time around. Um and yes. I'd like to start out with the subject of the title which mm. is the Santarans. Um and so we were talking a little bit before we started recording I get so we have the Santarans, we have this whole sort of like plot with unit Mm. um and and i guess both of these together sort of hail back to the 70s the early 70s you were saying um any any sort of background you want to give us or or thoughts yeah i didn't sort of come i did yeah i didn't do a huge ton of research um because i don't know how much of it i think most of what uh, most of what's relevant we get in the episodes i mean you only really need to see a few scenes with suntarans to really know what they're like um and same thing with unit, but um, it was in, I think there were a couple, like one or two unit stories in the very late 60s with the second doctor. Um, but so that's kind of when the concept was introduced and they tried it out a couple times, but it was really when he regenerates into the third doctor in uh, 1970 or 71. Um, that's when 
the, you had the period where the Time Lords took away his ability to travel in time. And so he was stuck on present day Earth. Um, and for a good chunk of the third Doctor's time, what he did was work for Unit, um, you know, who was sort of doing what they do in this episode. They're in charge of investigating alien activity and everything. And they're sort of a pseudo-militaristic, you know, they're not, they're UN, they're not allied with any particular government, but they're a military kind of force, um, you know, kind of science meets military a little bit. Um, and so the doctor would sort of be the science to their military, you know, and help them negotiate these alien invasions and everything. Um, and it was during that time that the Santarans first appeared. I think it was in 1973. That, and then I think they had a couple appearances since then. Um, but uh, they're from the same period. So it sort of works that, you know, we've had a couple mentions of UNIT before in New Who. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a little bit with them in the World War Three and Aliens of London, um, you know, and they're kind of on the fringes of some of the stories like the Christmas invasion and they get mentioned a couple times. And I think they, the, the Valiant, that airship is their airship. So they're sort of been hovering around, but this is our first real proper unit adventure where mm -hmm. they're actual characters in the story that the doctor's interacting with. So it's feels kind of appropriate that they should bring back a monster from that era of the show. And we can talk about this more for the kind of militaristic unit. You get an uber militaristic alien, you know, who's sort of defined by their, you know, status as warriors and everything. Yeah. So it draws kind of a nice parallel. So that's kind of my history lesson um, for the day. So what did you notice about the Santarans themselves? And we can talk about unit uh, a little bit later, I guess. Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny. They're very direct. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I like how, like, <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, you know, he, he, the the General Stahl is sort mm -hmm. of, you know, being didactic while he's also being threatening. It's like, you know, oh, you know, you must face your enemy and and very good you you have learned to i don't i can't even remember like half the stuff he says but um, yeah i like the part when he kind of invites them to shoot him and then they can't and he talks about why they right, can't right. like as they're trying to figure out why their guns aren't working he's going you know there's a, a copper excitation is stopping the bullets and all yeah, and it's yeah. like what yeah. is going on right yeah. now <laughs> well and and even like before that um you know the one guy asked like who are you and he's like yes know your enemy and like yeah, you know yeah. you know things like that so it's right he kind of can't help himself but train the soldiers to be better soldiers right or or compliment them when they you know come mm -hmm. up with a good i love how he's like yes you i can tell you are you know a thoughtful you know whatever soldier and, and whatever and while you know you other guy <laughs> you're <laughs> kind of useless <laughs> basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, kind of funny i mean yeah no they I won't go so so far as to say that they're like I mean they're still the alien invaders they're still the quote unquote monsters you know but they are a comedy kind of villain mm -hmm. I think we are 
we are meant to kind of smile when they're on like the the combination of their appearance with their like yeah self-importance is inherently funny yeah um, yeah no they they and there's a number of uh references to appearance so they're short and they look like yeah. potatoes apparently um yeah so you know that's uh definitely referred to and and they're sort of like they get blustery and offended when you mention you know anything about yeah. their appearance and yeah. it's kind of you know like i i don't know maybe napoleon complex almost right, right. Um, yeah yeah. You know, so it's yeah, it's just pretty funny. Um but the other thing that sort of I picked up on is is the doctor mentions uh this isn't typical Santar and behavior. Hiding, mm. using teenagers, stopping bullets. Uh a Santaran should face bullets with dignity and shame on you. Um so you do get this sense of there must be something that's changed since sort of the classic uh, iteration of them um mm. at least the doctor is pointing all of this out and 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 it seems like we should be taking note of this so i i don't i don't really know why but mm. he does point those things out um and then also the other thing that sort of struck me i guess just from personality wise or uh whatever was uh general Stahl being very upset that they missed the time war the finest mm. war in history, and we weren't allowed to be part of it. So interesting, <laughs> like not allowed, like just because they didn't know about it and weren't there, or was there something actively stopping them from being part of it? And that's, right. I mean, that's sort of the question. I'm not necessarily yeah. looking for you to answer, but those are the, that yeah. would be a question that I have. Um, and then the, yeah, the, weird, that's a good question. the weird tribal dance they sort of do at the end. Um, yeah. That's kind of odd. Uh, but Yeah, they're sort of. You know, I, I called it in my notes a battle chant, but it was interesting in the commentary, they refer to it as a haka, you know, that kind of mm. Maori, yeah, you yeah. know, kind of well, hybrid that's what I was chant, thinking. like chant meets dance in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something kind of theatrical about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. And, and how much uh, Radigan sort of... Mm. Uh, got into that <laughs> he, yeah. he was really digging that yeah um, he was and and speaking of napoleon complexes well i was gonna say <laughs> like to go so i, I want to talk about him sort of alongside the santarans because mm -hmm. he's kind of the the human element of the monster of the week yeah and, uh, and and there's that one comment that ross has we like ross yeah. <laughs> don't make fun of ross we like ross uh when they're when they're driving to Radigan Academy, uh, and he says it's all a bit Hitler Youth, you know, yeah, and yeah. and you kind of get that he's really into that dancing stuff at the end with the with the Centaurians, yeah. which is, you know, maybe Hitler Youth didn't dance, but it it definitely was about marching in step. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're right. You you're know, right. it's it's that being part of a group of people all going the same way. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's a good way to be going. <laughs> and and the elitism of it, you and know, that he's assembled it. his academy of geniuses, you know, that we're we're better than everybody else. Right. Um, right. And yeah. that make or our our intelligence makes us inherently better, mm -hmm. which is very Hitler youth, you know. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, and and when you get to that point you start thinking about things like um 
you know, eugenics and that sort yeah. of thing, uh, which was very much a part of the the Nazi pogroms and stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. All a bit Hitler. Yeah. Youth. Um, and I, I like to, I don't know whether this factored into their casting or not, but the fact that uh, Radigan is kind of short like they are. So he kind of fits in, you know, like when he's with the Santarans, right. he's about the same height, you know, so mm -hmm. it, it makes him seem like one of them a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, it's weird because um, even even with Radigan, um, General Stahl is sort of didactic and, and yeah. you know, like <laughs> at the beginning when when Radigan suggests that they take care of yeah. Joe. Is that her name? Right. The right. reporter or whoever she is. Um, and, and, you know, we don't know who he is at that point, but Stahl is like, well, you know, we don't take orders from humans. And, and he goes, well, that's yeah. why I said suggest. And he goes, Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. in that case, it's a very, you know, wise yeah. military strategy or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Good idea. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Your, your suggestion has been accepted. We will kill her. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, Oh, well, if you were just suggesting, then. Well, yeah. Yeah. Then, as long as you good. know who's really in charge here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess, so, so I guess we've talked about the Centaurans, we talked about Radigan, and and not that there's not more to say about them, but I guess just sort of the third piece to all of this is the Atmos, Atmos mm -hmm. unit, um, the atmospheric emission system. We don't, we shouldn't call it the Atmos yeah. system. The but not the Atmos system. system. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. like ATM machine or pin number. Um, right. Which used to drive me nuts when I worked at a bank. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, the Atmos system, the atmospheric emissions system um, reduces CO2 emissions to zero. Mm. However, that occurs. Um, apparently has a little bit more nefarious purpose, we learn at the end. Um, yeah. When I first saw it, before they sort of explain what it is, I thought it was like a psychopathic on star, you know, basically. Uh -huh. Well, um, right. That's kind of, that's part of it, I think is, I mean, you kind of learn that the Atmos is really this device that reduces yeah. the carbon, but they throw in a free GPS with, with the car to sweeten right. the pot a little bit. And, and apparently you know, it's, you know, tapped into the drive system. So they can, yeah. So they not only have poison in all the cars, but they can also control all the cars right. via the, so yeah, no, it is a kind of evil GPS, you know. Yeah. I and I like the line about this is your final destination. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think of the final destination movies and like everybody sure. dying from like really random pieces of technology and stuff. Sure. Like, like yeah. it kind of seems like I didn't think of that, but I wonder that could very easily be a call back to Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. Um yeah, and and kind of a one of those Doctor Who things where making something mundane evil. So maybe mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. GPS will just drive you into the river, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who hasn't had that happen before? Not the river yeah. per se, but, you know, take you into some really weird places. Like I remember um, I might not have been it might have been like Google Maps or something, but it was like trying to find a friend's house who lived sort of out in the country. And it's like it literally had me go on like a, a snowmobile path you know, to get there. And it's like, no, I know this is not right, but yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. What yeah. can you do at that point? So, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, I like, I like too, that the doctor sort of foils the Atmos unit 
by yeah. telling it to do what it's already going to do, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and it just gets confused. So, yeah. so where you, you know what? Oh, you're driving us into the river and you're supposed to do everything that I tell you not to, or, you know, not do exactly what I tell you to do. And so I'm going to tell you to drive into the river. And, yeah. And then of course, and that, that, Incy little explosion. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little. <laughs> Is that it? That was kind little, of disappointing. Little puff, little puff yeah. of spark or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, no, no. So, so this is our sort of trifold uh, monster of the week between the Satarans, yeah. the Radigan, the, well, Luke Radigan, not the Radigan. I guess he is yeah. the right again, but um, and and the atmosphere. Well, and there's a there's a fourth component, which is these. Uh, both the the soldiers who they're kind of controlling through i it's it's unclear to me whether all the soldiers who are kind of in the trance are cloned or whether it's just martha who's I, a clone i i, I, I got i'm not the sure impression, exactly i got the impression it was only martha who was cloned and here's why yeah because they actually bring that up and they you know she asked what's wrong with them mm. and um and the Centauran in good didactic form says, well, they're under, you know, whatever, some type of hypnotic something okay. or other. So and the then they say, and then and he says, but yeah. with you, we need something more complex. Okay. And so that's what I took. I took the something yeah. more complex to be, and yeah, I'm okay the with there being two Marthas walking around. So I, that's fine. But, um, no. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. No, I I <laughs> <laughs> I sort of I went off it, on my own trail there. I took it the same way that like yeah, the factory workers and the soldiers are under some kind of hypnosis, but Martha and that makes sense. Like if you're gonna send if you're just, you know, grunts like they call Ross, it's one thing. But like if you're Martha, Clearly, the doctor is going to notice if she's in a trance or mm. or the colonel or whatever. Like, you need something a little more convincing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they need access to her memories her and memories. all of her yeah. information and everything. Um, and actually, that was another point for the Santarans that they said um, the fact that they're a clone race was always part right, of their right. concept. Like, they all look the same. Uh -huh. I mean, probably because... Right. Back in the 70s, you can only have so many different molds of a costume. <laughs> and but, and the, the comment about how do you tell each other apart, which, yeah, yeah. you know, it's funny because there is sort of the stereotype, you know, there. Yeah. But yeah. it's also funny because they are actually clones. And how would yes, you yes. tell them all apart? Yeah. And then, <laughs> right. But then they say we say the same of you. <laughs> right. That, right. And Somehow the they says you just can. look like a. You just look like a pink weasel to him. So, um, but, so the, the I, they wanted to use, they're like, okay, well, we already know that the Santarans are clones. So we could use that in the story. Like, we know they have cloning technology. Mm -hmm. So why couldn't they use it on other beings? So that kind of. And it would even make though, sense. You know, that's, yeah. And so even though whatever you have. that's a part of their history that's never actually been used in the story before. Mm -hmm. So it kind of inspired the whole idea to have them clone somebody and it's like well we're bringing martha back let's clone martha <laughs> why not <laughs> why not <laughs> um so. yeah cool so um having talked about them yeah. let's talk about the well um we could start with martha i kind of had her later but 
why not? Since we're talking about Clone Martha. We already talked about Clone Martha, um, so. And you mentioned we got some references to Unit. I will say that I actually already knew Martha was part of Unit because of Torchwood. Mm. Um, they do. Yes. Well, I wanted, because I've seen Torchwood, but not as recently as you. So I thought, um, can you give us a little refresher of what we learn about her in season two? I think, I think we do know that she is working for Unit. And I think we've already, don't they make a allusion to the fact that the doctor kind of gave her a reference? Didn't he kind of help her did they make a, a mention uh, in Torchwood of him giving her kind of a recommendation for a job? Maybe not. Maybe I, I'm it could, remembering. It wrong. could be. I don't. I don't remember that part of it. We we do. We definitely get that she has become a full fledged doctor, um, mm-hmm. and that she's working for a unit, and that she is engaged. Yes. Um, I did not know in Torchwood that it was to Tom, though. I don't yeah. think. Right, although you did uh, suspect that, I think. Okay. I think yeah. you did. I think you said you kind of predicted that, you know, so. I said that when good, I saw this episode. when oh, she okay. said, And she said, I, I, oh, you know what, maybe not. Maybe. I think, I, well, I think you mentioned it to me when you watched season two of Torchwood. I think you said, oh, Martha's engaged. I wonder if that's too. Right, 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 right. Because okay. they kind of give that impression at the end of last of the time lords is that she's going to track him down and call right him she's and definitely there's an interest there and and yeah. yeah she definitely seems to want to seek him out at that point yeah um yeah. but yeah like in in torchwood i don't believe they ever say the name of the guy she's engaged to yeah i could be wrong on that anyway yeah um, but no we are confirmed that it's but now we know it's Tom. yes the pediatrician yeah um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, anyone who might have watched that obviously would have known those things as well. Um, but now we're getting to see sort of, uh, what she's like with unit mm-hmm. and very interesting. And of course, a lot of this, and there, and she mentions this, um, uh, you know, a lot of this goes back to the year she spent, mm-hmm. you know, traveling the world, uh, while the master was in charge and, and sort of the military and field experience she got uh, yeah. as part of that. Um, you know, so there's sort of the little taunting at the beginning when she first, you know, when the doctor first gets there and, and she sees Donna and says, Oh, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't take long to replace me. <laughs> um, yeah. And that sort of thing. Uh, but it seems good natured. Like it, you know, there's nothing bitter there. So no. um, we don't really know how long it's been. No, we don't. Um, um, again, I would just roughly go with the transmission dates. So, you know, now, so it's maybe a year, maybe a little more or less than that she's been away. But also don't forget that we've um, had the year that never was. So there's all the experience that comes with that, which sort of. You know, right? No, I was thinking more. I was thinking more of just how long it's been since she saw the doctor. But yeah, right. yeah, you're right. She and and she sort of alludes to that. That unit gave her yeah. a special dispensation and rushed through her um, yeah. medical, uh, you know, finals or whatever. So, you know, based on that year that never was. Basically, yeah. I mean, that's because yeah. that's where her experience was <laughs> yeah. primarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
definitely there. But I, you know, her and Donna hit it right off, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Um, yeah. In fact, the, um, the, the, the ganging up, you know, bonding by ganging up on the doctor reminds me kind of of Rose and Sarah Jane that, hmm. I mean, Martha and Donna even get along more quickly than, than they did. But mm -hmm. when they do get along, you get the kind of mutual teasing, you know, yeah. like He's too we're just going to gang up making fun of you right. basically. Right, right. Um, yeah. And, and last time it was kind of them just laughing at him and him being like, what? Like, stop it. Stop laughing. And so again, this time, he says, I'd rather you were fighting, like, <laughs> if this is what you're going to do. Um, but, yeah. yeah, you get that kind of bonding over silliness and teasing and everything. <laughs> um, but then you also get sort of the more uh, serious stuff with Martha. So um, he sort of chastises her for being part of UNIT, which is interesting because he was also mm. part of UNIT at one point and never yes. officially yeah. left UNIT. Yeah, yeah. Um so what are you really chastising her for cuz anything you say about that is you have to you know it's a I'm rubber your glue sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um you know and and she comes right back and she says it's it's all right for you you can just come and go but some of us have to stay behind. And and I like that they're sort of picking up again this thread of stay behind you know people who get left behind which is what yeah. Jackie was talking about you know way back when. You know, yeah. there's people, we don't all get to go with you. And what happens in that instance? Um, and then she talks yeah. about working from the inside, um, staying inside, and maybe she can make things better. Sort of the unspoken. And, and he praises her for that. He's, there's, you know, there's the Martha, you know, I know. Yeah. But, like, you also have to sort of think, is that, how possible is that? You know what I mean? Right. Like. Right. Like that, you know, can you, how, how much can you really with a bureaucracy that clearly yeah. unit it? I mean, yeah, units, not Torchwood, at least it yeah. hasn't gotten there yet, but it certainly seems like it could head down the same path that yeah. Torchwood did, you know, bad Torchwood, yeah. you know. Well, did. actually it, it, um, or, another parallel to Buffy, it kind of reminded me of Giles a little bit, like Giles even though he doesn't like what the watchers do kind of making that same decision that, well, if I leave, I'm no, you know, if I violate these terms and they kick me out, I'm no good to anybody. So if I stay inside, maybe I can control things enough that this will go. Okay. You like that kind of rationalization. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, this isn't as extreme a situation as that, but you kind of feel like that's Martha's rationalization is, you know, yeah, unit are maybe kind of bureaucratic and kind of militaristic and a little ambiguous, but her, her kind of rationalization is I'm no good to anybody if I don't, I, I can't work, you know, and we can, you know, whether this is, you know, reasonable, I guess is up for debate, but her argument seems to be that the only way to affect change is to work is to play ball a little bit, within you know, system, and to yeah. work within the system. And, you know, the only way that I'm going to make a difference is if I kind of put up with some of the things I don't like and try to change, you know, from within the system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think 
Yeah, that is a little con because you can. On the one hand, the doctor is being a little hypocritical, but on the other hand, you can kind of see why, if he's uncomfortable with Unit, Martha being a part of Unit would bother him a bit, you know. And yeah. I mean, we can talk about. I don't want to get jump too much ahead to the doctor, but I think, I think like a lot of the Doctor Martha tension comes from Donna's line about, is that what you did to her, turned her into a soldier? Yeah, you know, I right. think a lot of his guff about not liking guns and not liking soldiers and stuff is defensiveness about that. Mm -hmm. You know, because you do have Martha here who clearly has this experience and has this, got this job because yeah. of her experience with him. And I think that makes him a little uncomfortable, you know, to see her working with these soldiers and leading these sorts of, and she's not just the doctor, like she's leading the operation. She's like on the walkie, like taking the lead on the taking whole point, project. Yeah. Operation you know? Blue Sky. Yeah. So I think it's supposed to be something that on the one hand, you understand that for her, the only way for her to, to do well is to work within the system. But on the other hand, is this what she's learned from the doctor? How mm. to be a soldier? Yeah. You know? And I don't know. Whether that's supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing, I think that's what they're fighting about, you know? Right. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not a huge argument. I think they still respect each other. But I think there's some tension there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sort of the other, the other big thing uh, with Martha then is... Uh, her discussion with Donna yeah. about you need to be careful. Yes. Cause you know, the doctor, he's wonderful. He's brilliant, but he's like fire. And we've heard that comparison before. Yeah. You know, he's like fire, you stand too close and people get burned. And I mean, yeah. you can't help, but think about that at the end when Wilf is in the car. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. that comes home to roost, you know, rather quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rather quickly. So, um, and I think Donna, We'll talk about Donna in a couple minutes, but seems to, it's not like she just dismisses that. She seems to really heed that warning. Right. right. Well, know? and Martha goes into, my family was tortured. They were captured and tortured and it yeah. wasn't the doctor's fault, but still it happened because yeah. I was with the doctor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Hey, yeah. you know what? I'm, I'm immediately thinking of um elton pope and mm. the absorbaloff and saying you know maybe that's what happens if you touch the doctor even for a second that it's not even it's just coming into contact mm. you know it, it doesn't even have to be martha and donna getting into trouble because they're traveling with him it's their families you know that even even touching him in the most you know in the briefest of ways can have these sorts of overwhelming dangerous consequences. Um, and yeah. Martha definitely knows that like she put herself in danger all the time, but it really came home to her family, you know, and right. put them in a lot of danger too. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were targeted. We were told, you know, specifically Yeah. because they were her family. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So speaking of Mr. Fire, uh, let's talk about the doctor. Cause. Okay. <laughs> first of all, I like when, uh, I like his little comment. So, um, 
we see Donna driving the TARDIS or flying it or whatever. And he, yeah. he goes, you know, he tells her, tells her some instruction, you know, left down or something, whatever. Getting a little too close to the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And she says, what am I going to put a dent in him? And he says, well, someone did. There you go. <laughs> uh, but so. yeah, no, like, so first of all, you have to wonder where they're headed because it's during that flight that they get the call from Martha. Yeah. So I don't even know. Maybe it doesn't matter. But anyway, just kind of curious. <laughs> it's it's universal roaming. Wibbly wobbly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean like where where were they on their way to that they stopped and diverted themselves? You know what I mean? That's a good question. I don't know. And don't yeah. Know. And like I said, maybe it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, right. Except that we get that moment where the doctor <laughs> thinks Donna's leaving for good. And he's like, oh, you know, there are so many things I was going to show you and, yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. So it's like, well, okay, what, what would, where would you be if you weren't here right now? Like, right. What, you know, right. I don't know. Yeah. And no, I, we need to talk about that moment in detail. Um, whether you want to do that now or in a little bit. You know, well, let's but. do it now. Cause I, I okay. mean, it's, it's as much about the doctor as it is about Donna. It's, and Donna. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, absolutely. So, um, so, no, yeah, I mean, what do, what do you almost, have to say about I, that cat? I think it, I think it's even more about the doctor because I think the fake out is you've kind of noticed Donna, her kind of, well, we know she originally uh, refused his offer to travel mm -hmm. in the runaway bride, which she later regretted, but then had a pretty miserable time in Pompeii. And then in, uh, in, um, the planet of the Ud, at least briefly kind of admitted that if this is what it's like out here, I'd yeah. really rather just go home. And, you know, she hasn't acted on that yet, but I think we're, we're cued into that when she's, you know, and she's just got this warning from Martha about how dangerous he is. Yeah. And of course, you know, I've been thinking about it and I want to go home and, you know, so we're meant to be hook, line oh, and sinker. I, this the is first, her. The first time I watched this, I totally... I was, you were convinced. I was yeah. along yeah. with the doctor. I'm like, yeah. she's really yeah. leaving. I'm like, wow, they yeah. really pulled one over on me. Cause I, I thought she would have stayed a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and she's leaving. And then it's when and she's sitting there just <laughs> looking at the doctor and shaking, like nodding her head. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think maybe a split second before the doctor realized, I realized yeah. it too. You know, so like it wasn't. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty much as it was happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know yeah. that I'm that I'm like, oh, she's <sighs> talking about just going to you visit, know. and then she's, he says, oh, you mean you're gonna pop in for a visit? So yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but so it doesn't actually end up being. She does just want to go home for a visit. She wants to check in. It's not a kind of uh, big definitive going home sort of scene. But the doctor thinks it is. So right. I think I think it surprises him into being more revealing than he normally would be. Mm -hmm. You know, that he starts just his disappointment. I love this scene and how, <laughs> like, watching him go through all those stages of just the disappointment. Oh, it's too soon. And, like, he's having such a good time. You can tell mm -hmm. that he really enjoys having well, it and there. Then, and and then he sort of bummed. does, like, the buck and up, then he, you know, like... Oh, right. Well, he, well, he does his know. little, well, he, I mean, he does his little, uh, 
you know, seduction thing of, ooh, there's these things I wanted to show you, and oh, ooh, right, the right, right, 15th right. broken moon of the Medusa Cascade, doesn't that sound good? And then finally, he just, I, and then it just transitions into him, like, genuinely, sincerely just thanking her, you know, mm. and honestly, you know, telling her how good she's been, and, and then, by then, he gets it. Um, so it's kind of like, it, you kind of get the sense that, like, she never dreamed that could go so well. Like, mm -hmm. she really just wanted to mess with him a little bit, and he took it so much further than she, right. you know. He ends up confessing all these sort of, you know, deep emotional, you know, things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, I think it actually does tell more, tell us more about where he's at, because he's sort of tricked into being maybe a little bit more honest than he normally would be. Mm -hmm. um, or at least more... Um, open about what he's feeling, if not honest. So yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, you definitely get that, and and yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, just a few episodes ago, he was, I'm I'm just looking for a mate, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like and and <laughs> and that whole confusion there about exactly what he's he's yeah. saying. Yeah, I just want a mate. And, uh, but the, yeah, so you're not necessarily, I mean, you're not really expecting that he's this attached to Donna at this point, I guess, yeah. is sort of where, you know, where you're thinking. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, cool, good, touching. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens, yeah, I you know, so. after he kills Wolf off, if Donna still wants to be with him, but. No, I don't. Yeah, I suspect that's not going to do very well for the relationship. I, I hope and suspect that Wolf will be okay. I could be wrong, but that's the, the that's my hope and suspicion at this point. So okay. anyway, no, but I think you are absolutely right that um, with Wolf at the end, that's meant like we're we're that's a connection back to Martha's. You know, mm -hmm. that it's, it, again, it's not Donna that's in the car. It's her family. So it's not the danger that she's knowingly putting herself in. It's, you know. The people near her. The people yeah. around her by her own affiliation with the doctor. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I love that when she calls him a great big outer space dunce. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, she has, she doesn't have a lot of respect. Uh, anyway, so moving on, the doctor. Yes. Uh, he, he runs all around Radigan Academy. He's re very excited oh, yeah. to be there. Oh, he he enjoys it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like even as he's doing that, you sort of know, like he's commenting on all these things that. Again, we I mean, we've talked quite a few times about sort of the, you know, this shouldn't be this isn't right. There's something mm. wrong with this scenario. And mm -hmm. And again, he picks up on like the stuff that's here shouldn't be here, at least not yet. You know, the gravity manipulators and the, yeah, I forget what all else. I don't even think gravity manipulator was one of them, but you know, something, the highly technical things bordering on magic, you know, and talk, yeah, he talks about like, you know, it's like finding a cell phone in the middle ages and right, that kind right. of thing. Um, right. And, like, yeah, it's earth technology, but like, so far out of its time as to basically be alien. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the the Arthur C. Clarke 
right? The the mm-hmm. basically working on magic principles here. Even anyway, um, yeah. Shouldn't call Ross a grunt. He's nice. We like Ross. Uh, interesting because like he doesn't really know Ross. Like I mean, they rode in a car together for a little ways and whatever. Yeah, but, but they had a but, good little chat on the nice, way. I guess nice to see that they bonded. I think I think. And part of that, too, I think is just something about Radican that he can't help but niggle him about everything, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, you know. Yeah. Well, and. You know, like correcting his grammar, and if you're mean to this guy, I'm going to, you know, put you in your place and everything, you know? Yeah, that could be part of it. Um, although, and, but, but I think he actually does like Ross, you know? seems like it but we also you know know that he doesn't generally like it when people have guns and ross has a gun so um which he tells to put away because it's useless anyway but um so yeah but no good you know i don't have anything against ross i don't that's cool that he likes just don't call him a grunt but right Um, um the uh and then yeah so um he figures out he teleports and there's the conversation with uh the general there and and uh you know a few quips but um yeah interesting that the general doesn't pick up on who he is yeah like uh until until later when um radigan sort of lets it slip out that he's called the doctor mm-hmm. but uh the doctor clearly knows right away who he is. Um, and I would sort of contrast that. So you get, have this, you know, old enemy of the doctor. And I mean, you know, we don't know how long it's been. I mean, maybe it's been generations since any of the Centaurans have seen the doctor. So, you yeah. know, maybe you can sort of excuse, you know, maybe none who are living have ever seen the doctor and you can sort of excuse the fact that they don't recognize him. But I would con- contrast. Well, and he, and he changes his face. Right, he's a face changer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I would sort of contrast that with uh, well, it's not like they can tell all of them apart anyway. The, right. The Centaurans can tell can't tell people apart. So you know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but contrast that with Wilf and Sylvia, who both mm. recognize him like recognize immediately. Recognize him right away. Yeah. Um. To varying degrees of chagrin. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just sort of a few points there, I guess. Um, Sylvia doesn't like him still. No, and no. We she's joining. She's joining a line of mothers who wouldn't. Yeah, have... I was gonna say we wouldn't necessarily <laughs> expect her to. No. Um, Wilf seems a little ticked at him initially, just for his existence. It's like, oh, you. <laughs> um, but I mean, sort of seems okay with him once once he realizes this is the man who Donna was talking about. Yeah. Um, and uh, although he is a little upset when when he finds out there really are aliens, I guess that's more with Donna though than with the Doctor. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Because uh, she didn't tell him that there were aliens. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think Wilf seems. Um, to not have anything against the doctor per se. It's just that he wants to make sure Donna's safe, you know? So he's sort of lecturing him about, you got to promise me that you're going to take care of her and everything. 
And the doctor says she takes care of me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting you point out that the contrast of, you know, because we know Sylvia met him at the wedding. Um, and we know that Will and didn't meet him at the I'm wedding sure because... probably, you know, blames him for the breakup. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, yeah, he's the guy from the wedding. This like, guy comes yeah. in and suddenly yeah. Lance Everything, is dead and yeah. there's no wedding yeah. anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, Lance is dead. Everything's destroyed. Yeah. Um, and Donna won't talk about what happened, so she has to assume that it had something to well, do with Well, and they're together know. now, so... Yep, yep. Um, and... And so we know that Wilf, I mean, we talked about the the real world reason why Wilf wasn't at the wedding, because originally Donna had a father and Wilf wasn't, you know, invented yet as a character. So Wilf, you know, and they kind of make some joke about how he had the flu, like he missed the wedding because he was mm -hmm. not feeling well or something. So that's why he didn't meet him at the wedding. But Wilf met him separately on the last Christmas episode. Right. So, and then again, we get... Uh, Donna's already met him, and she meets him again, sort of, you know, not exactly accidentally, but pretty, um, pretty randomly in Partners in Crime. You know, they end up running right. in. So you get all of Donna's family members meeting him sort of individually in varying, like, coincidental circumstances, you know, and kind yeah. of recognize. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing to notice. Yeah. Like, with Rose and Martha, you always kind of had them introducing the Doctor into their families, whereas mm -hmm. you kind of get the sense that uh, the Doctor keeps running into the nobles in varying contexts, you know, like, yeah. under different circumstances. Um, so, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to notice. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, you know, this is, again, being a two-parter. It's hard yeah, to say yeah, I know. It's a always... lot about any of these people because you don't know where it's going from there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. like I said, I hope and suspect Wilf will be okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. We'll see. Um, I don't think I have anything else about the Doctor per se at this point other than just he does his usual sort of tinkering and... yeah. Um, yeah, he also does, he carries on his tradition of using small round objects, very well aimed to do things. So he had the Satsuma the, yeah, in the, the first Christmas episode, and then the cricket ball in human nature, mm. um, and now we have a tennis ball hitting. So it's kind of a, I believe that's a Tenth Doctor thing. I can't think of, I can't think of any of the others who do it quite that often or quite that way um he's good with th throwing balls around and hitting small targets and stuff so there none, we go none of the other doctors have the balls, <laughs> have the balls. Um, they have other skills um right uh <laughs> sorry that was really bad uh <laughs> anyway so on that note let's talk about don <laughs> okay uh we already talked about her driving the TARDIS. That's kind yes, of funny. Yes, yes. Um, kind of badly. And, and badly, but I mean, <laughs> but we don't hey, she see, gets a go at it. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't really ever see the other companions driving it, do we? No, no. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think Rose or Martha really got to do that, that I can remember. So, very interesting. I mean, there. except when Rose, like, tore it open and 
let it go into her brain, but like, yeah, no, it's, you didn't really, you didn't really get the, <laughs> so it's just a little bit, you didn't really get the same kind of, okay, we're going to have a flying lesson mm-hmm. now, you know, or like, you're the kid and I'm the dad and I'm going to sit in the passenger seat and let you, you know, try to drive around the parking lot, you know, is right. kind of the analogy, it seems to me. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, we also talked about the fact that they sort of gang up on the doctor, but yeah. that is still funny. He's too skinny, she says. Yeah, uh, you, you give him a hug, you get a paper cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you brought up, you know, the, the comment she had about Martha. Is that what you did to her? Turned her into a soldier. And mm. it goes sort of unanswered by the yeah. doctor. Like, no, he doesn't really have an answer for it. It's just like, and that's why I think that's, to me, the key behind... Not that he doesn't genuinely feel this way, but that's the key behind a lot of the prickliness with the soldiers, you know, is kind of wanting to resist, you know, being the guy who turns his companions into soldiers, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, but Donna kind of has to, it's kind of a blunt question, you know, but we've sure. seen Donna's not afraid to ask the blunt question. No. So. No, it doesn't seem to be. Um, although she kind of does the same thing to the colonel and the doctor kind of smirks about it. Like she kind of yells at him for, you know, arresting these ordinary people and kind of, you know, acting in a sort of uncivil way. And then, uh, you know, Donna, Donna Noble, since you didn't ask, I'll have a salute. Yeah. 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 Doesn't mind really holding her own and sort of you know, giving her opinion. Right. Right. Um, yeah, no, I had that, I had that quote down too. Um, but then we get to her own resource. So, okay. Yeah. She's not gonna, you know, go around and she's not really the sort of intellectual type like Martha was. No. Um, and she's also, I mean, we've already talked, like, I mean, she's not clearly like Rose either because Rose was sort of the, you know, taking her cues from the doctor. So, like, mm-hmm. Rose sort of, like, followed the doctor until she could sort of emulate the doctor, but never really kind of figured out her own, yeah, you know, way of doing things. Donna is just like, I'm, y'all are, you know, doing your military thing. I'm going to go look at the personnel records. Because yeah, that's where the yeah, real yeah. information is. And yeah. And it, like, it's just her complete disregard for what anyone else is doing and saying... And sort of just that sort of, well, I mean, like administrative assistants are, they yep. just have that sort of practical, like, uh, you know, this is how we get things done. Very logistical and, and, and sort yeah. of whatever you could probably tell me better what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, Donna's probably better at it than I am, but well, yeah. you know, but I, I, you know, and, and, I know what she's you mean. super temp, apparently. Uh, she is super temp, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I I like that. That it's just she's not she's not you know again she's not the intellectual type, but she's very straight. I mean, she's not stupid or anything, but she's not Martha. You know, like oh, yeah. you know, what about this and what about this and what about all these hypotheticals and whatever. She's just yeah. like, I'm gonna go look at the sick days. <laughs> Nobody ever got sick. Why yeah. not? That's odd yeah. because everybody has some reason, even if it's not 
that they got sick. Everyone right, takes a day man off. Flu every or a shopping trip or something. Right, right. Mental health day. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So um, you know, good on her. And and of course then that makes it weird. And so then they you know, the others are like, Maybe we should look into it. But um Yeah, yeah. well it's interesting. One of I think uh Helen Rayner in the commentary said that she kind of thought of Donna has as kind of upping her game a little bit to kind of match Martha and not that like match Martha. She doesn't try to do what Martha can do, but she, it's kind of like, Ooh, here's a, you know, a smart companion, you know, I'll try to contribute too. But then the reverse of that is that Martha kind of does the same because it's after that, that Martha starts interviewing and examining the factory workers, you know? Mm. So you kind of see Martha also, if Don is kind of, you know, wanting to you know not impress people but maybe like contribute a little bit more to the investigation in her own way martha then takes what donna contributes and goes with it you know okay Mm -hmm. well if it's something we're not looking we're looking at the factory and not the workers so as a doctor i can go and talk to the workers and examine them and sees that the guy's completely out of it and in a trance and everything so you can kind of see the two of them jumping off of each other and taking sort of cues from each other in a, not in a competitive way, but in sort of a, you know, um, I don't know, like as working together towards the same goal, not necessarily competing for, you know, who's better or who's smarter or whatever. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so then sort of the flip side of that is she goes back home. <laughs> yes. Well, and, so I was going to say, I mean, we talked about Martha's reasons for giving the warning and we talked about the doctor's reaction to Donna, but um, other than you, you know, being sort of lured in by her going home, what do you think of her decision to go home for a visit, but not necessarily to go home permanently? Um, I'm not sure if, once you were, once you realized what her decision was, did that, did you have any thoughts about that or? Um, well, I mean, so sort of the thoughts that I had were that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. she's near home. So why not just stop by? Also given the fact that what Martha just said that, you know, people tend to get, pulled into situations around the doctor, maybe it is a sort of goodbye thing, or at least I want to tell them where I am kind of thing. Um, Which is what puts Wolf into the situation that he gets in, right? Is the fact that she goes home to see him and her mother to a lesser extent. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) and they kind of decide not to tell mom anything anyway. Right. Right. So it's this, yeah, it's this damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, if she didn't, then she would just be sort of leaving her family wondering where she's been and what she's doing. And, you know, but the fact that she goes home brings the doctor there and he starts fooling around with the car. And, you know, that's what that's what sort of entraps Wilf. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean. Again, hard to say, like, without knowing what else is going on. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know what's going to happen at this point, but it it yeah. is it is interesting that 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 one thing leads to another in in yeah. those cases. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but but when she's at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, again we get the sense like we saw before with her sitting there with her cup of tea just and her mother yammering at her. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, once her mother walks in, it's oh, you know, could you cut some coupons because this mortgage yeah. isn't cheap, and you know, it's like. Okay, like you know, don't yeah. ask where you've been. Where really, you've been. don't ask what you've well, been. Well, and doing. even when it's when like, Donna tells her I've been traveling, she like makes fun of her. She like calls her Michael Palin, like sarcastically, like, "Oh yeah, you've been traveling, huh?" Not like, "Oh, you know, where where where'd you go? What were you doing?" You know, out of interest. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh huh, you're a traveler, are you? <laughs> so, yeah. like, even the notice, what little notice she does take is sarcastic, pretty much. Right. Right. You know. Right. And since you're back, you might as well cut me some coupons. Yeah, you might as well be useful yeah. to me. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah, very very like sort of um I don't know what's the female version of emasculated. Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure what to call that exactly, but but very right. much Yeah. um like is not belittled or something. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. a Yeah. So yeah, which again is, uh, you know, contrasted with the kind of warm reception that she gets from Wilf, you know, and you know, it, it, you can kind of see that if Donna gets some of the snark from her mom, um, she and Wilf are on the same page, sort of emotionally, that they both, you know, are relieved and happy, and you know, they have a very kind of sweet reunion. So. Um, you kind of see where she gets her emotional support in her family. It's mm-hmm. not from the mom. <laughs> yeah, not from the mom. No. Um, so, yeah. So you could, I mean, and we already knew that she had been sort of looking for the doctor. And we've talked about, um, briefly, about her lack of relationships um, at this point. Like, she... Mm-hmm. Um, Especially mentioning like sort of the offense that she takes about being called Miss last week, and uh, but then yeah. at the same time not wanting to be confused as being married to the doctor. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you get the idea that even though she does love her family, or at least her grandfather, <laughs> I'm sure she loves her mother too, but it's not. You don't get the sense that it's a place she wants to be, and that no, no, that yeah. And and that that's so sort of going back to the original question that we're talking about, about, you know, her motivations for going home. I mean, again, she loves her family. Yes. She wants them to not worry about her or anything, or at least, you know, not to have Wilf worrying about her. But she doesn't want to be there. She doesn't yeah. really want to stay. Um, yeah. And and so. I don't know. I mean, right now she's still there, so I can't say what's going to happen, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the 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 idea is I'm sure she'll be going back with the doctor. Unless I'm wrong about Wolf and he dies, then maybe, I don't know. I don't know what will happen at that point because maybe there will be other things to think about. But anyway, 
that's all I have to say about her. All right. For the time being. Well. So any any other thoughts or insights? I think, I think we're about at our limit, but let me just take a look. I think we're good for this week, so we'll be back next week for the second half of this story. Sounds good. Well, alrighty. See you then.